Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. That, that word paradigm. And I think that's really, that's really one of the key things I want to look at is we, we all have a paradigm, basically just define that word. It's like our way of viewing the world, right? So if you ask a fish what the water's like, well, if they don't, if they live their whole life in water, they won't have any concept of what that means. And that's really what I realized as a child, I had a paradigm of, you know, what I thought was health. It was really disease care, disease maintenance. And then when you step outside of that, said, what does it look like to actually create health? You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 280. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hello, veggie lovers. Welcome to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Today I have for you Dr. Jeff Crippen, and we have such an amazing conversation that I think is going to bring a lot of uh, positive feelings and insights into your life, and hopefully it will impact you in a really positive way. So Dr. Jeff Crippen's mission is to live life to the fullest and help others do the same. He is a chiropractor, nutritionist, and coach who enjoys helping others unlock their true potential. For the last decade, Jeff has helped clients both through chiropractic care and nutrition at his wellness clinic in St. Joe, Texas, as well as through individualized mindset coaching with the Advanced Coaching and Leadership Center. He finds a holistic approach, optimizing spirit, mind, and body, the most efficient and effective way to create a lifetime of timeless youth. And his book is called Timeless Youth, The Five Truths of Transformational Wellness and Holistic Healing, and it's available now. So you can find that online or you can request it at your local bookstore, Amazon, all of those places. So in this episode, we talk about a chronic health condition that he suffered with since he was tiny, just like six years old, and how it affected him, how it led him on the path that he is on now. We talk about the five principles that he believes convey the five truths that underlie health. We talk about the importance of our mood. We talk about meditation and other ways to manage stress. We talk about presence, what it is and how it's relevant to health and well-being. 
And we talk about people and their infinite potential, what that means. Do you have to be a spiritual person to believe that? It's a really great episode. He leaves us with his top three tips for people ready to begin their journey to health and well-being. And I think this is a really valuable, valuable conversation. So I hope that you love it as much as I do. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of my long-term listeners. I love you and appreciate you so much. And welcome to all my new listeners. Make yourself cozy. Check around at all the other episodes and please share episodes that you think would benefit other people in your life. So thank you so much. And now let us welcome Dr. Jeff Crippen. Dr. Jeff Crippen, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Dr. Yami. Well, I'm super excited to talk about some of these topics. I've read your book. So this has got some really great information in there, but I'm really excited to delve into some of these topics deeper, but let's start out with the experience that even prompted your interest in wellness. It sounds like it, it really kind of dominated your life for so many years. So tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it started, um, I guess it started when I was, um, never really had started when I was a child. I never had much of an interest in health because as a kid, I guess, Unless you're exceptional, why would you? You know, life's kind of working. You're enjoying playing and going to school and life's kind of good. And um, then, you know, I started to get some headaches. I was about six years old and they kind of got worse. And eventually we did what we knew to do, which was go to the pediatrician, <laughs> you know, and they start on um, some uh, children's Tylenol, children's Motrin, just some some pain relievers. And then as the headaches got worse, it eventually tried some different medications and some prescriptions. And then as it continued to progress over a couple of years, eventually, you know, that was kind of um, kind of a red flag symptom kind of in, in your area of specialty, which is like headaches that that don't respond um, to traditional pain relievers, especially in a child, you really want to rule out something worse, right? So that's what they did. They did a CT scan of my head and found, found something in there. They found a mass in my head. Um, so then they did an MRI and turned out to be a it's called a benign arachnoid cyst, but a benign cyst in the brain, about the size of a dime. Um, so then they said, hey, this could be causing the headaches. So they talked about brain surgery and uh, all of this. And I'm like, at this point, maybe I'm eight years old. So it was just this whirlwind of, um, you know, experiences as a child when you just like want to play some basketball with your friends or <laughs> go to school or kind of like run around the neighborhood kind of thing. Um, and that was kind of... Um, that was kind of my experience growing up, ended up not doing surgery, ended up kind of staying through traditional medicine for about 10 years, trying a series of other, you know, drugs, prescriptions, treatments to try to calm down the headaches. And, and basically it was through that, I couldn't find anything that was really helping. And it's worse that a headache for two years, nonstop, every moment, every day for two years. And you know, you just start trying stuff, <laughs> you know, start experimenting, start learning, start studying. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey um, through that, through childhood and adolescence, and eventually um, found some things that were quite helpful for me uh, through a combination of nutrition, through a combination of chiropractic, through a combination of rebuilding my body kind of holistically. And then, you know, when I'm in college trying to figure out what I want to do, I figure, wow, this would be an awesome way um, to help other people, just like some great people have helped me. So, that kind of led me to become a chiropractor and a traditional traditional naturopath. Well, I mean, I think it's incredible that you were just so young suffering from these debilitating headaches. I can't even imagine that, you know, it's just like really stole part of your childhood as well. You know, like you just 
can't be present, you're feeling bad, you're not able to do some of the things you want to do. I know that you're writing in your book that there, your life was kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll do that if I'm feeling up to it sort of thing. I don't know how I'm going to feel on that day when there's that event. And that's a really hard way to live when you're a young person. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. So it's it's, it's somewhat even hard for me to remember um, just because it feels like such a different life. Like, thankfully, headaches are handled now and it's a, just a very different experience. But, you know, as you said that, that's exactly, you know, it's just kind of that unknown of like, you know, what can I do tomorrow? Well, I don't know if I'll be able to get off the couch and you just kind of live with that uncertainty. So yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was tough to go through, but a blessing, you know, I, I learned a lot and, and found a lot of things for myself, but ultimately it's that kind of seeing that, but now my, my empathy goes towards children having that now. Right. And that's kind of why I do what I do is because I can just appreciate a child should have wonderful health and they should be able to do everything they want to do or not have their health stopping them, which is kind of a big motivation for, for what I do now, because it does, it, it pains me to see children that are, that are sick or ill. And especially if there's some, some simple, but powerful things they can do to kind of be healthier and, 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 and have that, you know, that childhood experience that, that they may want, you know, we're running around and doing whatever that happens to be. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, it's, it's funny. It's, it's almost as you, as you ask me these questions and obviously as I was writing the book or going through that, you remember some of these experiences, you reconnect to them, but so much of that just feels like a different me kind of in the past, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love what you said though, about kids. I think well-being mm -hmm. is the biggest gift mm -hmm. that we can have and give. And sometimes we take it for granted until we don't have it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then we realize the contrast between feeling good and not feeling good. So I'm just curious. I know that you're feeling like this was almost like a separate you, a different yeah. you, a whole different time in your life. But do you feel that that experience, tolerating that, living through it, your your determination, your will to find some solution. Do you think it gave you some, some skills like perseverance? Do you think that that has lasted through your life even now? Like, are you less likely to give up on something? Because I feel like I have very, a very low pain tolerance. I just don't know if I could make it through two years of a headache. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think that experience probably was like a catalyst or a crucible to help me demonstrate or like tap into probably some innate characteristics that I had that just happened to come out or manifest through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, cause there's lots of different ways to handle, you know, pain or hardship or things like that. And I'm not sure, I can't tell you exactly why at eight years old or at 10 years old or at 13 years old, it was like, Okay, go to you know, go to a doctor, go to a doctor, go to you keep trying. Then eventually, I just remember having the thought like, okay, well, we'll figure it out, you know. And just having that that there, I mean, there was an incredible bit of, you know, like as like a and a typical day of like high school would be like uh, we were just talking just before your daughter being a senior, but like a typical day of high school for me around my junior year was like, you know, go to school for as much as I could tolerate. I I, I still went virtually every day i almost never took a never took a sick day so like i would go even with the the pounding stay as long as i could i had one independent study class that i had to do just because 
that was like the limit of what I felt like I could handle. Come down, lay on the couch for three hours. Um, I, I changed my diet. I'd cut out sugar. I'd cut out dairy. Um, so started making some changes to my diet. So, so I'd, if that was different than what my family was eating that day, I'd cook my own dinner, lay back on the couch. And if I was feeling good, you know, I'd do 10 to 30 minutes of homework. And then you kind of wake up and do it again. And uh, so I think I can see some of the attributes that you're talking about. Definitely like some persistence, definitely some determination, definitely some like, you know, never wanting to use that kind of as an excuse. And so I think part of it was forged through that experience. And part of it probably opened up some like natural or kind of more innate like characteristics because I can see similar patterns in how I handle other things in life as well. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's sheer grit right there. I really admire that you were able to make it through that. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into some of the stuff that you talk about in your book. What are the five principles that you believe convey the five truths that underlie health? Yeah. So I think, um, so just kind of big picture. I think we have a, a, a medical system where it's, it's often called healthcare that unfortunately is, doesn't have a lot to do with health. And sometimes doesn't have a lot to do with care either, which is, you know, a, a kind of an unfortunate reality. It's it's a fantastic system of disease maintenance and disease, disease treatment with some great doctors and some great knowledge, some great research, some incredible technology and diagnostics. I mean, there's just an incredible amount of knowledge in that system. But, you know, as, as you know, there's some real limitations to that system when it comes to creating health. So one of the things... Um, I realized as I was going to those doctors is they all had um, a solution for me, often in the form of prescription drug, but nobody could really tell me why I was having the headaches. So that was a little frustrating to me that um, they had a solution, but never really understood the problem. And I said, I, I just wondered even, I remember even as a kid wondering, like, I wonder if the reason the solution isn't working is because nobody can tell me why, right? I didn't have, I wasn't asking a lot of questions, but I did kind of, you know, just trying to figure out why am I having these headaches and my friends aren't or my my family isn't. So that kind of just drove some of those questions just kind of sit there. So eventually you start looking at what is, what is health, right? How do you define it? Because if you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there kind of thing? So that's what kind of pushed me as through my own experience and, um, kind of with patients as well, just trying to understand what is health. And then even more, how do you make sense of, you know, I, so I remember when I was a kid, like people would say, oh, well, caffeine, you know, could cause your headaches. And I was like, well, I'm 12, so I don't drink coffee, you know? So it's like, I didn't have a lot of soda. So it's like, then I had other people said, did you know coffee is good for headaches? And I was like, I'm still 12, you know? And then I had a similar conversation with people around red wine. You know, and they're like, oh, sometimes red wine's good. Yeah, exactly. And then other people said red wine could cause your headaches. And I was still, well, you know, maybe I was 14 at the at this point. But it was like, one, it was a little bit ridiculous, like talking about the benefits of red wine for headache. But also, two, it's the same thing can be helpful for headaches that could be causing headaches, right? So it's just like there's so much confusion in the area. It's like there's got to be some guiding principles. There's, there's got to be some North Stars that just can help us make sense of what that is. So that's what I put there. Um, and, and that's, so that's kind of what I kind of based my healing on and, and my practice on are some of those five principles. So that you asked about. So, um, the first one is, you know, what I call the Yellowstone principle. It's the power of holism, right? It's, um, 
you know, Aristotle said a while ago, the whole is greater than some of its parts. So if we look at, you know, and I think that's a principle that works on a lot of levels. We know the healthiest people are involved in some kind of community and have great friends. You know, we can look at the power of a spiritual community um, or a great community of friends, girlfriends, guy friends, just friends to help us support through that is incredibly helpful and supportive. You can also look at that principle um, when it comes to food, right? I mean, the more refined, fractionated the foods are, the less healthy they are, right? We look at, you know, one of the most refined processed foods that everyone would say, yeah, that's probably not a great idea, would be refined sugar, right? 150, 180 pounds per person per year in the United States. Um, or if you look at raw sugar cane, raw sugar cane is where the sugar ultimately comes from, unless it's high fructose corn syrup, but it's, you know, 90% fiber. It has magnesium. It has plenty of zinc. It has lots of B vitamins. It's got all the nutrients you need. And to chew your way through that much sugar cane to get a half a pound of sugar, which is what somebody eats in an average day, you'd get hundreds of grams of fiber, which is way more than anyone's getting. So you can find that principle even in foods. And I think when it comes to healthcare or you know understanding disease or or, or symptoms. Oh, I think it's the power of looking at the whole and, you know, yeah, I have patients, I'm sure like you do, that go to their cardiologist and get one doctor, you know, get one medication for blood pressure. And then they have a side effect that's affecting their kidney and they're going to a different doctor and you get someone to look at that. But the question I always have for them is who's looking at the whole, right? And I think everyone needs a good, you know, a, a quarterback of their health team to look at the whole because, you know, Cardiology might be a different specialty than, you know, a kidney doctor and nephrology. Um, but the body doesn't make those distinctions. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a sign on the door kind of distinction, but not, um, but not in terms of how the body functions. So that's one example of that, that first pr principle, holism. And, and what I found is these are principles that in health that work kind of on multiple levels there. So... Yeah, I think that one's an incredibly important one to start with is just the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I love that. And it makes so much sense. And I think that we're so used to in our healthcare system of looking at things individually. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a primary care physician, yeah. so I I love looking at the whole picture. I'm a, yeah. I'm a you know, big picture thinker. I like that. You know, I prefer that to the details. But even I sometimes can fall into that trap where when you feel frustrated, you're just like, okay, let's go to rheumatology. Let's go to the, you know, let's yeah. go to the allergist. Let's, you know, like, you know, of course, trying to get as much information as you can from these specialists, but knowing that if you're not taking a step back and overlooking and supervising everything, there will be things that get missed because each specialist is only looking at their part, you know? So it can be pretty complicated to try to put all this stuff together. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point. And we, and we have a system like in medicine that rewards specialization, right? That, you know, that the more specialized the doc, you know, the doctor is, it's like you have a general practitioner uh, and then you have a, uh, you know, an oncologist that works on cancer. Then you have a pediatric oncologist. Then you have a pediatric oncologist that specializes in childhood leukemias, right? I mean, you just, you go through that system and each step of schooling or knowledge or fellowship 
it's, it keeps driving that idea of specialization and driving that idea of specialization. And, and like I said, there's an incredible amount of fantastic knowledge that you can gain by diving deep into some of those topics. But you got to be able to see the whole picture while you're doing it. And I think that's what can be missed, not always, but often is. And if it is, I think that's a real kind of loss to the patient. And I think we see that now with the importance of having a patient advocate, right? I mean, there's plenty of, you know, plenty of power and incredible power and, you know, researcher, we all know friends that like you take, take somebody else who's can see clearly and ask some good questions, maybe some tough questions to really push because sometimes it is stepping back and looking at the whole picture, even from a layman's perspective can be incredibly, an incredibly valuable gift. And now for a very important message. Hey, mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Yeah. Now, sometimes that gives you a perspective that everybody else is missing because we are stuck in our own paradigms, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that can be. And that's exactly very, the word. I mean, you said a great word there. You said that great, that word paradigm. And I think that's really, that's really one of the key things I want to look at is we, we all have a paradigm basically just define that word is like our way of viewing the world, right? So if you ask a fish what the water's like, well, if they don't, if they live their whole life in water, they won't have any concept of what that means. And that's really what I realized as a child, I had a paradigm of, you know, what I thought was health. It was really disease care, disease maintenance. And then when you step outside of that, it says, what does it look like to actually create health? And that's kind of what we drove there thing. But I think that's, you know, like a, a, just a key takeaway for each of the, each of the listeners is to really look at what makes up your paradigm and how do you define health? And then how are your actions in life from who you see to what you eat, to how you move, to what you do around stress? How does that 
in alignment with your paradigm or in conflict with it. And those contradictions, um, if there are any, can can be a trigger, can be a, a moment to inspect deeper, either that action or non-action or that underlying beliefs that's there. Yeah. And I think when it comes to paradigms too, sometimes we just need a radical shift in our paradigm as well. You know, like sometimes we are brought up in a system that we're taught this is the way it is and that's just the way it's going to be and there's no way to change it. And so that's what you believe until you get to a certain age and you're like, wait a second, I don't have to believe this. I don't have to believe that because everybody in my family is going to get diabetes that I'm going to get diabetes. Exactly. And some people live in that paradigm, right? Yeah. That that's just, that's just, this is your, this is your destiny. Um, but you can break those paradigms and learn a different way of, of thinking and living so that it can, it can be a different outcome for you. Yeah. So that's a good discussion there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to briefly touch on the other four principles before I move on? Uh, sure. You, you mentioned that idea of, of diet, of diabetes there. And just because I always love that, like as somebody comes in, it's like, well, my, my great aunt had arthritis in my wrist and then her sister did. So I have to get it. And you're trying to like figure out how the genetics from your great aunt jumped directly to you, but miss some of the people in between. Right. I mean, it's like, but that's one of the examples of, um, you know, statistically it's for, for most diseases, there are some genetic disease, but it's, you know, roughly three to 5% of, of disease can be explained by genetics. Right. Um, but it's such an easy thing to point to or jump to because what gets missed through that is what else gets transferred through families. Food gets transferred to families. Sometimes occupation gets transferred. Sometimes beliefs or ways of handling stress. Sometimes the way you exercise or way you don't exercise, right? All of those things get trans transferred through stress. So that's an example of, um, I go through that um, in the uh, principle, um, I call it the quantum principle or the power of no thing, nothing which I write no hyphen thing, but basically it's the intangibles that are ignored a lot in health. Um, there was a, a researcher out of Oxford. He said cells are a hundred times up to a hundred times more sensitive to non-physical stimuli, things like energy than they are to physical stimuli, like things like hormone, things like vitamins, things like minerals. And I think all of us have experienced that. Like we've walked into a room with our friends and we felt excited, we felt happy, our mood level comes up. And then we walked into other rooms and we just like, oh God, not them again. You know, you can like almost feel your whole body, like kind of the energy kind of shift as you see something or something happens and you could feel that. So what it's saying is, is, is the, the those intangible things can be really powerful effects on our health. So one more is the Model A principle, um, which is basically the power of the individual one, I'll give you one example of this, which is uh, your listeners. One example of this, which is individual nutrient requirements can vary a hundred X person to person, which was really ama an amazing thing to me because I would see this in my practice. It's like, how could somebody need, you know, this amount of a nutrient and somebody else need such a drastic amount, whether that's in supplements or whether it's, you know, in terms of, you know, herbal anti-inflammatories, things like a turmeric or a ginger or something like a, some fish oil. You can see wide variations. Some people just get what they need quite easily and other people just have really higher use, higher needs for it. It just, it's something that I never fully understood. I think one example this a lot of people can relate to is maybe you know someone or have like that great aunt who lived to a hundred, but drank 
you know, drank a glass of wine or drank some scotch every evening and had, you know, bacon in the morning or bacon and, you know, you know, just like eating stuff that we don't really think is that healthy or they had deep fried foods for lunch every day <laughs> and they live into their nineties. Right. And it's, you know, not exactly what we would say is the healthiest, healthiest of diet. They're the healthiest of habits, but there's something else going on there that's causing them to live a while. So sometimes we have to look at the intangibles to understand that. Uh, and so that's, that's that. Then the individualization, I think we saw a great example of that through COVID. A lot of people became aware of loss of taste and smell becoming a common effect of that. And, um, you know, my experience, it's almost always a zinc deficiency. Zinc's involved inhibiting uh, viral you know, replication, as a lot of your patients will know. And I think you also saw, I think, up to 30% of patients start to lose their hair um, for short periods of time, two, three, four to six months after um, that can also be connected to that zinc. So that's an example of something happens in the body that causes an increase, you know, a change in your nutrient requirements. Obviously pregnancy causes more of everything. <laughs> you need more of everything when you're pregnant, right? Somebody who works out might need a lot more protein. I mean, those are some examples we can relate to, but they happen on a lot of other levels as well. And then we start getting in the power of uh, what I call the Olympic principle, which is basically has to do with stress, but stress isn't always a bad thing. Um, so a lot of times stress can be a negative. There was, um, there was a great study that looked at about 30,000 people and they found the people with the highest levels of stress had the highest rates of death, right? Over seven years or so. And it kind of made sense, right? We all know that stress is, you know, can be, have negative effects on our health. But what they found is those who have the highest levels of stress, who saw stress as a positive, actually live longer than those who had the lowest levels of stress. So just by changing their mindset or changing their paradigm around stress, um, they had just an incredible change of that. Um, so really that chapter, we dive deep into how you can make stress a good thing and what are the examples of that and how can someone apply that to their life? And the final principle is, you know, what I say is called the power of, you know, the golden you, which is basically we all, we all have an incredible ability to heal. In fact, it's the only thing body knows how to do and virtually every Every drug, every pharmaceutical that's there, the body has the ability to produce those molecules on its own. And, you know, when we're giving, you know, a nutritional recommendation or an herbal recommendation or an exercise recommendation or even a, even a prescription drug, you know, none of that does anything unless the body has the ability to assimilate it, utilize it, and direct those nutrients to where it needs to go. So how can we unlock our body's ability to heal? Um, and that's kind of the final chapter, the final chapter from the final principle of those five. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a DO and I know that our professions have a common root. Yes. And that's one of the reasons I decided to go to osteopathic medical school because that philosophy was it just called to me that the body has the inherent capacity to heal itself. And I feel like, you know, I started there so passionate as a medical student. Then you get into the medical profession and you're just like, we don't talk about this at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course yeah. we talked about it in medical school. And, you know, I learned also um, osteopathic manipulative medicine and all that kind of yeah. stuff too. But, but then you just get into real life medicine, the traditional way, and you forget and so I had to come back around to that through lifestyle medicine. And now it's something that I've, I've just become more and more and more and more passionate about with the power of nutrition and habits and behaviors. And it's like you were talking about in that principle of 
what we inherit. I think one of the biggest things we inherit from our families is habits, you know, and just like I tell my families, one of the best ways to, for a child to learn what to eat it, to learn to like food is through exposure. So you can expose that child to, you know, fried chicken nuggets and French fries every day, or you can expose them to broccoli and black beans and brown rice and do that over and over and over again. But it is those habits that are learned that really become ingrained in us because they happen day after day after day after day. Yeah, no, oh, you're 100% right. Yeah, no, it's it's every time you're working um, with children, you're always working with the parent or parents as well because, you know, well, this is all the kid eats. Okay, you know, well, who's does the grocery shopping? <laughs> you know what I mean? And most kids, if they get hungry enough, they'll be willing to have an apple or find something, right? I mean, there's there's cases where that that becomes yeah, yeah. difficult on the on the margin, but um, I think it's it becomes a family conversation. But also, you know, the difficulty of that also, like you said, is the positive there, which is if you can make those changes with the mom or with the dad, um, then that can have nothing but positive effects going forward to the children. Yeah, yeah. In your book, you write the ability to choose your mood level is two to seven times more important than your decision to smoke or not, to exercise or not, or your ability to maintain a healthy weight or blood pressure. I had to read that line several times. It definitely resonates with me. Yeah. But I want to know, what what did you mean when you wrote this and what do you want the reader to take away from that? It's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? There's, there's a couple things that like were kind of like, you know, truth bombs that got dropped in my life that all of a sudden it takes years to try to figure out what exactly they mean. One of them that came before this was, you know, um, the CDC says up 75% of all doctor's visits are caused by stress. Another one said medical textbooks say 60 to 80% of all disease is caused by stress. So that's something I had to look myself in the mirror as a practitioner and say, so if that's true, what am I doing to help my help my patients, help my clients handle stress. Right. So that was like, so I started diving deeper into this and, and, um, the, 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 the study you mentioned is an example of that, but what it said was that study said particular. So having an ideal weight will add around one to three years to someone's life. Wearing a seatbelt will add like one to three years to someone's life. Having optimal blood pressure will add one to three years to someone's life. Right. And that's kind of, what they found, what they found is having, um, being an optimistic person will add up to, you know, and that study was 7.4 years to someone's life. So because of that, I said, just the power of someone's mood level was two to, I think two to five times, I think you said, um, more powerful than that. But that's what I was referencing there. And there's, there's another study. They looked at nuns. They looked at the most optimistic nuns versus the most pessimistic and they found the optimistic nuns in that study lived up to 10 years longer. And one other study found it was up to 15 years looking at, I think it was looking at identical twins. Um, so, I mean, whether it's seven years or 10 years or 15 years, the point is our mood level and the way we see the world has an incredibly powerful effect on our health. And statistically it's more important than if we smoke. Right. And that's what really blew me away because you go to any primary care physician and they're probably going to ask you if 
if you smoke, they may ask you about a seatbelt. They may ask you how many times, you know, do, do you drink? And so we may look at some of those lifestyle habits that are incredibly powerful, right? They'll often weigh you when you go in for a visit, right? That's kind of like a standard thing. So they'll check in on some of those, but that, that mood level or whether you're optimistic or pessimistic, that's going to be skipped over by most, most practitioners, including myself before I had any idea of what that is. And but I had to look in the mirror and say, if this is five times more powerful than the other ones, then something's not right in, in what I'm doing or what we're doing kind of as a system. And it's an example of we're ignoring um, ignoring the intangibles because just because and just because we can't see it or touch it doesn't mean it has a doesn't have a powerful effect on its health. So that's what I was trying to get the, the reader to take away from from that from that particular piece. Yeah. No, but I think also it's important for people to understand that just because you don't see it physically, it does have a physical manifestation because Absolutely. when you're feeling that way, there are things happening in your body. There's chemicals changing in your body. There are physical things happening that's going to affect you. I just think it's super interesting too, because as a pediatrician and, and having practiced for 13 years, I have seen patterns and I've gotten to learn a lot from my patients. And there really are some people that are born naturally more optimistic yeah. and they're just like and you see this not just in your patients but in their parents i just i just love this because it also helps take shame and blame off right yeah. because some of us are just literally born more anxious yeah. we're we're more scared we're more anxious we're more wary of things and like there's literally some kids that i'll be interviewing them and they're teenagers and be like how are things oh they're good are you stressed about anything nope Everything going good? Yeah, no, I feel great. And like, I know that they're telling the truth. I don't think that they're lying because yeah. I can tell the difference in their mood yeah. between the kid that yeah. might be not really telling the truth, but they're super anxious and like, you know, tight and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and parents too. Like there's some parents that are just very anxious and some parents that are like so chill. And I see this in the postpartum depression scale too. Sure. Like it'll be the mom's fourth kid everybody's screaming and she's like totally relaxed, smiling, taking her time. And her like postpartum depression scale is zero. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I want that. I want those genes, you know, Teach me. <laughs> um, but I think the good news is the good news is that even if you're not naturally that way, it's never too late. Yeah. There was a time when we thought that personality and those things were unchangeable, but now we know better mm -hmm. and we know that we can develop skills, we can practice, and we can learn to bring ourselves back to that optimism and that positive thinking. And it's not about denying that hard things happen. It's not about denying that we can have hard feelings, but it's about how can we learn how to manage our thoughts so that it helps us get to those more positive feelings that are gonna be better for our health long-term. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's incredibly well said. And just, just to even build on that one more step, um, one of the simplest ways to do that is just to acknowledge the negative feeling when it's there. 
So one interesting, uh, seeing that in your head there, it's awesome. So one interesting thing that really blew me away was uh, they did a, you know, a functional MRI study. So that's basically they they should put people in a MRI machines. They look at what parts of the brain light up, and they would show them pictures of people like relaxing or on a beach or like a nice sunset, and like yeah, the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the kind of the relaxing, the rational part of the brain would start lighting up. And then they'd show people images that would evoke violence or fear and anxiety. And they'd see, you know, a part of the brain called the amygdala or the fear center start lighting up. So, you know, th those kind of made sense to researchers. But then when they, they showed them the threatening pictures, the ones with violence, and they asked the patient to name the mood level they would fear, they were feeling, they would see a shift and the amygdala would kind of calm down and the rational part of the brain would light up again. And I think that's the power of, you know, naming your mood level. So, um, you know, the ability to, kids, you can't, you can't describe the mood level you're in while you're stuck inside it. It's like, go lock yourself in a closet and then try to describe the outside of a building, <laughs> right? It's hard to do. But if you step outside the building and walk around, you could do a pretty good job describing it. And as soon as you do that, by definition, you're not trapped within it anymore. So one thing um, we we can do, uh, the listeners can do, is just you know a simple check in every once in a while. Just describe describe your mood level. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling pissed off. I'm feeling really happy. I'm feeling grateful. I'm feeling joyful. And like you said, uh, Doctor Yami, it's not about always being happy or everything's always been great because hard things happen and life happens and there's things that irritate us and there's things that cause sadness and there's things that you know cause hurt and cause pain and, and that's and that's before 10 a.m most days you, you know <laughs> or whatever it is but it's like the the ability to experience that when it comes up and just be honest with it allows it to kind of release and move through Right, we've heard like you don't stuff the emotion, you allow yourself to experience it. So simply naming the emotion can help bring some awareness to it and can be a powerful way just to experience what's there and then kind of free your attention from it and put it towards, you know, put it towards where you want or in the mood level you want to be going forward. Yeah, that is so powerful. I have the perfect example yesterday um, as we were leaving my son's award ceremony from school. I got an email that was a little bit of a difficult email from a patient dad. And as I was replying in a legitimate, calm manner, after I sent the email, I had this flare of anger and resentment, which happens when you're a, you know, a business owner in a medical private. It, it happens. Okay. Y'all just, you know, we're not always happy and perfect. Real talk. And I was, it was in the car. I wasn't driving. My husband was driving. And I just said, I am feeling <clears throat> the most intense flash of anger right now. And I had to say a few, like, you know, a few yeah. words and just let it move through me. And it it's like this intense feeling. And I just had to feel it lasted for like two, three minutes. And then I was just like, okay, now my rational brain can take over and be like, you know what? You have to give this person the benefit of the doubt. It's probably a misunderstanding. They're probably feeling this. Let's have some empathy. Yeah. And I was able to diffuse it and it went away. But if you restrain it and, and or judge it even, like, yeah. that's usually where I am, like, judge my feelings of that's the wrong way to feel or you should never feel that way it gets repressed and it gets stuck and then the next time it comes up it's even stronger and stronger and stronger until you explode and so yeah i think it's really important to process those emotions and not judge them for what they are and then we're reading to our kids at night and there's like a little part of us that still has attention on that email that came through six hours ago or six days ago or exactly. six years ago 
whether knowingly or unknowingly. And then we end up being less present with whatever we're doing at the time with our kids, with our work, with our clients. And, and, and yeah, and it kind of can snowball that way for sure. Yeah. I think there's a perfect time to talk about meditation. So yeah. how can medica meditation be helpful in managing stress? Yeah. So I think there's, um, so incredibly, uh, I mean, incredibly powerful. I mean, so there's, there's all kinds of incredibly powerful tools uh, to help manage stress. But yeah, the meditation one you just asked about fits perfectly with what we were just talking about, which is just bringing awareness to it, right? Just sitting, being present, noticing your thoughts, noticing the moods or emotions that come up and just doing your best to recognize them, not judge them. I'm not a master in meditation, but I've done it um, on and off for, for years. And it's like, but just the ability to just be, be present and notice what comes up in kind of a non-judgmental way. I think um, I heard a quote once that awareness alone is transformative. And I really think that's a powerful idea. And I think that that kind of applies to that, this question about meditation right there, but just having awareness of the mood or the emotions or what we're sitting in um, can just be incredibly, incredibly transformative. And it can start with a minute or two of deep breathing, right? When we, we can talk about what happens in the body. We can talk about the changes in the calming down the sympathetic or the stress nervous system. We can talk about you know, increase activation of the parasympathetic or the relaxing nervous system and getting more blood flow to the brain and blood flow to the gut and blood flow to the digestive organs, right? And all this, the energetic shifts that happen. Because um, I think you said something, I, I liked what you said earlier, um, which was like, just because that mood level, it has very physical effects on the body, right? Because stress has very physical effects. So this isn't to say like, this is like this airy-fairy conversation of this mood level is like the most important thing to health. This isn't to say the physical doesn't matter because it absolutely does. And it'll absolutely manifest. Just like you said, it'll show up in cortisol levels. It'll show up in stress hormones in the body. It'll show up in heart rate. It'll show up in breathing patterns. It'll show up in what part of the brain is, is firing or not firing. But what it does is say, is the cause point in the body or is the cause point outside the body, within us, within our mood levels, within that. And I think that's what the meditation, the benefit of is, is working on that cause point of where the energy, energy sits and then how it impacts the body. There's a quote Einstein gave once. He said, the field, he was talking about quantum physics. He said, the field is the, field is the sole governing agent of the particle. And basically he was saying, if you want to understand how an atom moves, you have to understand the energetic field that surrounds it. And I think that's very applicable to the body and very applicable to what we're talking about in meditation and mood level, because if we want to understand the behavior of the body, we can't just look at the cells or just look at the tissues, but we can get a lot better understanding of it by looking at the energetic field that surrounds the body. And that's, that's the mood level. That's the meditation. That's our level of presence. Um, in the, in the intangible factors like that, that have very real tangible effects. Wow. That's so powerful. That. That's really incredible to think about it. And it makes sense. Like how can cells thrive in a toxic environment? Mm. And when our mood is continuously, perpetually negative, mm. it's like a toxic stew, you know? And, you know, when we allow things to come through and pass through, we can do that in a healthful way that doesn't harm us. But when we're stuck there and we're, and we're almost like, you know, 
I guess, ruminating, you know, we're just like, we, we're trapped inside that negative cycle. Your cells can't be at their optimum vibration. Wow. That makes total sense to me. I just love yeah. how you brought that up. I never thought about it quite that way. That's great. Awesome. Well, maybe briefly cover a few of the other methods. I like to bring up meditation just because it's one of my favorites, yeah. but there's lots of other ways yeah. that people can use if they're not into meditation or they've tried meditation and it's not for them. What are some other things that they can do? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, this is another real simple one, but real powerful is just, you know, just a grat some kind of gratitude process daily, you know, whether that's, that, whether that's, you know, a discussion with a partner or you're asking your children, you know, tell me one thing you're happy about or grateful for right now. Like you can, with that question, you can direct their attention. Um, so a gratitude process could, you know, write down three things or five things or 10 things you're grateful for. It's just as a powerful ability just to shift kind of where our attention's at. So that can be super powerful. You know, they, um, there's now a whole bunch of research on what they call forest bathing, which is basically just like walking in nature. It's interesting. It's all, all these things are super interesting on the research because like you just ask anyone, do you feel better when you walk <laughs> in nature, <laughs> right? Do you feel better breathing fresh air and being in the trees or getting some sunlight, but simply being in nature um, could just have an incredibly calming um, therapeutic effect on the body. Um, other ways that, that are super helpful to handle stress um, is, um, you know, sitting down with friends, you know, those who had like a good group of friends that they could talk to. And I think they define, you know, it's close friends, like those group of friends that you can kind of tell anything to. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge number, but just people that you can be fully open and honest with, and you get them unconditionally and they get you unconditionally um, is incredibly valuable. Like I mentioned earlier, being part of a spiritual community, uh, whatever that looks like for for you um, can be incredibly valuable. And then, you know, prayer, you know, which is, you know, along the lines of meditation, but having a have praying every day or you know, people with um, different conditions, they compare those who pray to those who don't don't pray. And those who pray um, tend to do much better there. So those are a couple other suggestions. Get out in nature, pray, have a gratitude process, be aware of your mood level, meditate, um, you know, breathe some fresh air. All are, you know, simple things, but real powerful. I mean, and I don't, I, I, and I say that again, because I, I think we tend to think about, I want the magic supplement or I want the magic food. Or I want the magic thing. But what we're saying is this is the stuff that's two to five times more powerful than whether you smoke or not, <laughs> whether you exercise or not, whether you maintain an ideal weight. Um, so all of those are incredible. And we go into a little more detail in the book on each of those, but those are some great examples that, that people can apply and that cost approximately nothing um, to do, which is, you know, another, yeah. another great thing. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned forest bathing, but I want to add that if, you know, the the trees and the forest and the mountains aren't your jam, for some people, it's the ocean. They just want to be at the beach and hear the waves and be in the sand. And that's where they connect. Each person has their different preferences. I'm definitely a mountain yeah. mountain and tall trees kind of girl. And that's where I feel like, oh man, this is, this is just a beautiful life, you know, and you feel that soft earth and you feel the breeze and hear the birds. I just love that. So thanks for bringing all that up. Yeah, I think it's a great time to talk about presence. So first of all, what is presence and why is it relevant to health and well-being? So 
presence. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. So when we kind of let into it with a lot of our conversation getting to this point, so that's great. Um, so presence is your ability to be here, not physically, not mentally, not emotionally, but you as an energetic being, as a spiritual being, just ability to be right here, right now at an optimum mood level, right? That's how, that's kind of how we looked at presence. And why does that matter? Um, because that is the field. <laughs> that is what's surrounding the body. I think that's the idea that we can look at. You know, you were giving the example of, um, or you were just sharing about how cells are affected by our mood level and kind of how can they live, can cells live their optimal best kind of stuck in kind of those negative vibrations. And I think a way to think about it is just if a city's under attack, imagine you got like a medieval city with the walls around it. If they're under attack, what do they do? They bar the walls. They're in defense mode. You're probably not worried about growing the food outside. You're probably not worried about getting rid of garbage and that kind of stuff. It's like our goal is to survive right now. And whatever we have to do, it's like all hands on deck. We just got to survive and get through this. And then once it gets through it, we can go out and, you know, go out and plant and tend to the trees and you know, take care of the animals and things like that. Um, but, and so there's basically two, two forms in that example, where either in that city is either in defense mode, which is shut everything down and survive, or it's in kind of growth and prosperity mode. It's the same thing with ourselves, right? And the examples are a little different, but how that manifests in the body is, um, you know, like I said, when someone's in a rest mode, you get more blood flow to digestive organs, more blood flow to um, the sexual organs, more blood flows to the rational part of the brain. Um, and the flip side of that is when we're under stress, we have less blood, blood flow to the areas, more elevated heart rate, elevated breathing, more blood flow to muscles, more blood flow to the more reactionary parts of our brain. Hey, are you kind of curious about microgreens and including microgreens in your diet, but you're not sure where to start and you're not sure how to do it? I love my Hamama microgreen grower. It's so easy. It's so convenient. So this is how it works. Basically, they send you the kit and it has this little seed quilt, okay? And then you soak the seed quilt in the water. And in a few days, you see your tiny little baby sprouts growing. And a few days after that, you can start eating them. And it's so fun. And you can tell them that you're eating them. And they're really happy that you're eating them. And your body's really happy that you're eating them. But here's the best part because I've told y'all before, I'm lazy. So I don't wanna have to use any mental energy that I don't need to. And they send you seed quilts every month. So you don't run out, you can change what seed quilts you want to try. So here's some examples of some of the seed quilts they have. Hearty broccoli, refreshing cabbage, energizing kale, spicy daikon radish, super salad mix. You can even get wheatgrass, you can get culinary cilantro, or even hot wasabi mustard. So there's lots to choose from. They have different flavors. They're so cute and they're health promoting. So you can get a good dose of antioxidants and it's really beautiful. I also use them for garnish when I'm making soups and salads and different bowls. You can impress your guests. But like I said, it's going to be low 
energy cost on your part. And it's actually not that expensive either. The other thing that I use from Hamama is a green onion growing kit, which is really cool because it can decrease your food waste. So you buy the green onions and then the little part that has the root, the white part at the bottom, you stick it in these little holes and then you just put the water in there and it grows. And then you can keep eating the same green onions. You just go with your little scissors and you chop it off and you put it into your food. So if you want to give it a try, you've been curious about microgreens and different ways that you can grow your own food, check out Hamama. You can find it in my show notes for a link to get 15% off, or you can go to dryami.com forward slash shop so that you can find the link and get 15% off your first order. Happy growing. Do you love Veggie Doctor Radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? Join the Plantscription. The Plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week. But that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this plantastic community. But that presence is the ability to be here as yourself through it all. And then that's what gives you the awareness to choose that mood level. That's what gives you the awareness to knowingly put your attention on gratitude or positivity or being loving or kind to others versus, you know, when we do use the example you gave, although it happens to all of us, or when we get that email, do we immediately go into that reaction mode? And are we immediately in that defense mode of fight or flight? And then how long do we stay there? And like you said, that has an effect for us emotionally. That has an effect for those around me. That has an effect all the way down to the cellular level. So I think, one, can we recognize um, the power of presence for ourselves? And then can we use that to be a force for good, right? Can we use that presence to be something that's supporting to our health and uplifting to our health uh, instead of something that's putting us into that that shell to hunker down and kind of get ready for get ready for some kind of fight. Oh, that makes so much sense. As you were describing those things, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking closed off, defensive, protective, but whenever you're closed off, it is, it's, you are focused, but you're focused on that one thing. You're focused just on defending yourself yeah. and getting through. Yes. But whenever you're present, you're open, things are flowing. And I even was just having these images of like, yeah, that's the time when you get most creative. Yeah. Oh. That's the time when you feel your passion. And that's the time when you can tap into your purpose because everything feels open and abundant and free. And the possibilities feel endless. Whenever you're closed off, you're just thinking of like, you know, survival and fight or flight. Am I going to make it? You know, like you're, you're limited, you're stuck. It's like a very opposite sort of energy. Oh, well said. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely, you got it. Well, let's talk a little bit about spirituality. So yeah. I have really, really been deep into this topic lately. I, at one point, got really into uh, listening to near-death experience sure. um, yeah. stories yeah. and 
then, you know, went away from it for a while. And then suddenly in the past few weeks, I've just gotten really, really into yeah. it and just even getting deeper, deeper into some of those spirituality things. And, you know, my personality lends itself to it okay. and I'm really open to those things, but some people aren't. So does, a, does somebody have to be a spiritual person to understand their infinite potential? And tell us a little bit about what you mean. What does infinite potential really mean? Yeah. So that's, so that's a, that's a great question. So does someone, so, so we have two questions there. What does that mean? And then does somebody have to be open to it or aware of it? Um, it's actually a really good question. I, I think, I think in order to be aware of it, you have to be open to it, but I don't think it changes the fact of who we are. Right. Now we each have our own experience of a life and how that works. But in my experience, this is a telepathic universe. Like, and an example of that, have you ever thought of someone and then you look down at your phone and you just got a text from them or you just got a phone call with them, right? And on those good days or like when you need to do something for your business or something for your family or like you're looking for this resource for your kids and I'm like, <clears throat> you meet the person the next day that has exactly what you need or you sit next to them on the airplane or you run into them on the bus or whatever it is. I mean, those, you know, you could either call them coincidences or a telepathic universe. I'm not on the coincidences side of that, but I think we have the ability that's so much bigger than just who we are. I mean, I could give you, you know, you hear the stories of parents when their child is in danger of like women who've been able to pick up a car to free their child, right? The question is, where does that come from, <laughs> right? If, you know, how do you explain that purely physically that all of a sudden a mom can lift up a car to free their child or, you know, People can run through, you know, run through a burning building and grab their kids. And, you know, we have all these examples, these superhuman experiences that can kind of happen. And I think all of us have that potential. Um, the question is, how consistently can we tap into that? And what does that mean when we do? Um, you know, the way I, the way I look at, at each of our cells, I think each of our cells almost have like antennas on them and they just kind of tune in to what we direct our attention to. So if we put our attention on that positive, abundant, creative future, as you were talking about, then our cells are kind of tuned into that. And the same thing, if we're, if we're in that fear or anxiety or, or yeah, scared, then we'll, then the body will tune in, tune into that. And we'll see the physical manifestations as a result of that. Some examples of that, if they've done some fascinating studies with heart transplants, um, well, they've actually, uh, there was uh, one case of um, this young girl who got a heart transplant and started having these incredibly vivid dreams. And the parents would try to console her. And then the dreams would keep coming back night after night after night. And so they tried to figure out, so they tried to investigate it, but you can't know anything about where the heart comes from, right? It's kind of like a, just kind of a closed door. But eventually they brought in an FBI sketch artist and they had the daughter describe what was happening and they took that experience and turned out the where the girl got the heart from was from a young child who was murdered and they actually used the vividness of that dream to catch and to solve an unsolved murder that had sat there for about a year and a half unsolved um and you can go through some interesting stories of um and it was talking to a, a cardiologist who that was basically his role was he was on the transplant team to make sure that um, 
that the, the, the cardiovascular system, the heart was strong enough to go through with the transplant. And he was telling me the story of um, after surgery, the woman started getting some really specific pains in the middle of her back, exactly where it is. And she would complain about it for, for months. And eventually he got curious about it. Um, and he looked back in the file and he could know where the heart came from that she didn't. And it turned out the person who got the heart from, they were killed by a blow right to that same spot on that back that that woman had been complaining about the pain since the surgery. So I think there's a lot more examples than that. And you can see, and you can see the positive of that in the, the spontaneous remissions, right? Someone has cancer, it's the you know, terminal case, it's not going to get better. And then all of a sudden there's a spontaneous remission, right? Which basically means we don't know what the heck happened, but it's a great reason to be happy, right? That one of my rules is every effect has a cause. So something happened at, at that moment. I think we need to look outside just purely the physical to be able to understand those. So does that, I don't know if that, does that help answer the question there? <laughs> or did I respond okay? No, I think that's great. I, you know, and, and no, that was beautiful. And man, that first story with the heart transplant gave me full body chills. Oh, that's yeah. it. That's just incredible. Yeah. But you know, I think the more you learn about some of these things, the more open you are that there's more. And and even if you're like a purely scientific person, we're getting to the point where some of these things you can actually probably explain, yeah. start to explain with some of the knowledge that we have in science. So it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is completely unscientific woo-woo stuff, you know? Um, so it's it's just so incredible. But I think having the knowledge that, we are greater than what we think we are, that we have inherent worth, that we are all loved. I think at least from that place, people can start to build on it, can start to believe that because of that, they deserve well-being. They deserve to reach their full potential and to explore this earth and to do the things that make them happy and bring them joy. And through that, it helps spread more joy because then that energy flows out and more people are vibrating with that energy and you just radiate all that joy. So I just hope that more and more people will become more open and willing to at least, you know, maybe give it a little thought. Yeah. And I think that's so true. I think you can explain it with science to your point, but it's not the science we were taught as kids, right? The Newtonian physics is like every, yeah. you know, there's a direct linear relationship from one thing to the other. When you start getting to the idea of quantum physics and which basically says at its heart that everything is energy, right? The atom is, you know, basically 99.9996 or so percent empty space. But the truth is it's not really empty. It's full of energy. So one other study, they actually pulled some cells out of a, a woman's uterus and they were separated a couple rooms over. That woman went into labor and the uterine cells in the other part of the hospital started contracting in unison when the woman went into labor, right? You start looking at that. Okay. We can't explain that because there's no neural connection that goes, <laughs> goes through the walls of a hospital. Right. Or um, you can't look at that from a purely physical standpoint and understand that. But if you look at start looking at that from a level of consciousness or awareness, then there's something that connected those two things. So they're there, but you may got to you may have to dig a little bit. And, you know, like I said, be, or like we talked about at the beginning, be aware of that paradigm we're looking at it from, because there's some there's some interesting things out there for sure. You wish more people knew. 
I wish more people would, <laughs> everything we talked about <laughs> so far. Um, so through, through this interview, I think uh, you've done a great job asking some of those questions to bring it out. Um, I think, I think, I guess the answer to that question is I think I wish more people would just really understand who they are and what they were capable of and to be able to tap into that a little bit more kind of getting, getting what we're getting at here. And, um, yeah, cause I do think there's a lot of connection between all of us, right? You can see that with, you know, identical twins who have their own separate, separate language, but, you know, uh, I was talking to, um, you know, talking to moms and like they start getting dreams and getting a feeling of what kind, whether the baby's going to be a boy or girl if they didn't find out, you know, if they chose not to look or know from that. You can, you have all these moments or parents, you know, innately know about their kids like, uh-oh, something's not right, <laughs> right? And you can feel that. Um, so I think there's a whole lot there that we can use to be a force of good in the world. So I think that's how I'd answer that question is more of we understand who we are and some of our you know, let's call them special abilities that seem a little bit extraordinary, but that could be really, really powerful and help explain some things that we feel on a daily basis, but maybe not put a vocabulary to them or a name to them. That's so beautiful. Mm. Well, do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you share it with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, mostly depends on the day, but um, one of the things I'll do is I'll wake up um, I'll, I'll, I'll run that question that we talked about, describe your mood level. I'll, I, that's something that I'll do uh, most days and just kind of work through that. Be aware if there's multiple mood levels there, work through till I get to a mood level that I want to be in <laughs> and that I think other people around me would want to be in and my patients would want me to be in. Um, so I work, work through that. Um, I do a gratitude process. There's about five questions I do in the morning. Um, it start, starts with setting a goal for the day. What am I... Uh, what am I freely willing to give others today? What do I value or what am I grateful for? And what do I value that another does for me? And then, you know, what am I happy about right now? It's kind of the questions that show up in the morning. Um, then from there, um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of intermittent fasting, not every day. Um, sometimes I'll do a little more protein rich breakfast. Other days it'll be more of an intermittent, intermittent fasting. And I do like working out in the morning. So, um, usually if it's a weekend, I'll try to go for a run, maybe five to eight, five to nine miles, something like that on the weekdays. It's usually something quicker, maybe either 30 minutes of some kind of strength workout, or maybe 30 minutes of yoga, or maybe even on the restorative side, if it's, um, more of a, recovery day for me or just a relaxing day or I'm just feeling <laughs> tired. Um, and then, um, you know, on the fasting days, probably usually break my fast maybe with a, uh, almond milk, homemade matcha latte with a little bit of, a uh, little bit of stevia or honey, uh, some good matcha and some almond milk, uh, usually, usually iced, but occasionally hot. Um, or sometimes I'll do a, Sometimes I'll do a, a golden milk or some kind of variation of that, but that's kind of a, that's kind of a morning. Most of that all happens within, you know, 10, 15 minutes of getting up and then um, about 30 minutes for working out. And that's kind of, kind of my routine in the morning. That's beautiful. It sounds wonderful. I love those gratitude questions mm -hmm. too. They're very, mm -hmm. you know, they just really get you grounded and focused yeah. and put you in that good mood for your day. Yeah. Well, Dr. Crippen, this has been fantastic. I'm yeah. so glad that I've met you and I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing. Can you please tell us where listeners can connect with you and what products and services you offer? Yeah, awesome. Well, it, it, equally, uh, it, it's, it's a 
I love meeting people who are doing good in the world and have just great intentions to educate and help others. So I really feel that from you, uh, Dr. Yami. So thank you for the gift of, you know, meeting you and being on the podcast today. And, um, probably if people want to connect or learn more, continue the conversation, probably the easiest way to find me is, um, Instagram and Jeff Crippen, J E F F C R I P P E N is where you can find me there. And then, um, to dive deeper into some of the, uh, really a lot of what we talked about today um, and just kind of take it to that next level. I wrote a book uh, you referenced earlier called Timeless Youth, um, which is the five truths of transformational wellness and holistic healing. Uh, and you can find that uh, on Amazon. You can find it uh, most bookstores. If you want to support your local bookstore, you can call them and if they don't have it. Any bookstore can get it or order it if they don't have it on the shelf. So um, you can get it anywhere you like. It's available in ebook as well. So I think those are probably two things to connect. Um, either on Instagram, we'll put some more tips or through the book if you want to deep dive in more of these conversations and you found this useful. Or you know someone in your life that you want to send it to <laughs> and educate them. Yeah. Say, hey, read and this and talk to me. And it's a, yeah. And it's a, it's, I like it because it, it doesn't feel intimidating. It's yeah. not like this gigantic book that you're like, oh my God, how am I going to get through that? But you have lots of stories and then you tell your story throughout it, which I love too, because I love to connect to stories and other people's experiences. Yeah, thank you. And that was intentional. And I wanted to write a book that um, somebody could pick up and it'd be very easy to read. And I think one of the best ways to learn for all of us is through stories. So I wanted to be a book that's not medical. It's yes. it's not intimidating. It's just something that could be an, an easy an easy read, but but pack a punch there. Yes. Love it. Okay. Final question. Leave us with your top three tips for people that are ready to begin their journey to health and well-being. So I'll echo, um, I'll echo what we've talked about already. I'd say, ask yourself that question two to three times a day of describe your mood level and just really be willing to just be honest with yourself. If it's positive, then there's probably some wins to celebrate there and you can be happy about that. And if there's some negative things that moved in, then just be honest with that as well. And just know, just naming the mood is changing the physiology of your body. So that would be the one. The second thing, I think starting the day off the gratitude process is incredibly important. Like it's a real ability to knowingly choose the mood level we want to be in and put that into an environment. Most of us are effect of the environment. We walk in and we take on the moods that are around us, but to be able to do that and be kind of a force for good in the world, um, I think is incredibly, incredibly valuable. So that would be, that would be two. And then I'd say three, just kind of the simplest thing that helps almost anything, no matter what someone's got going on is cut out the refined sugars <laughs> of the diet. Just get rid of, get rid of all of them. Um, and I think that can be, you know, and then, you know, what are we going to replace it with? Well, fruits and vegetables are a great place to start. And I like twice as many vegetables as fruit. So that gives you a real real solid start of taking something out, but also putting something back in. So it's not pure deprivation. That's fantastic. Dr. Crippen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your passion, your love, the compassion that you're putting out into the world. I really appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Awesome. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you.
Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.